This story is a story of courage and determination and resilience and, yes, gutsiness. But it's also a window onto Afghanistan before and during and even after the return of the Taliban that I think is going to really open a lot of eyes. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. In 2020, directors Tamana Ayazi and Marcel Medelsifen began filming a documentary about Zarifa Ghaffari, one of Afghanistan's first female mayors and the youngest at 26 to ever be appointed. Around the same time, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and her daughter Chelsea Clinton formed their own production company, Hidden Light, a global studio focusing on untold stories around the world. When Zarifa's story came across their desks, Hillary and Chelsea knew they had to be part of it. It's a thrill and an honor to be sitting down with Hillary and Chelsea to talk about this documentary and share the incredible strength, hard work, and determination of Zarifa and her ongoing fight for women's rights. I'm sitting here with former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. And I can't tell you just personally how thrilled I am to see you two together. And then on top of it, you're working together. It is just finally, and I know you've done things in the past, but this feels real official. And congratulations, your first show has just launched, Gutsy, Mm -hmm. from the book that you wrote about gutsy women, which I loved. And I can't wait to see this um, series. So congrats on that. Thank you. And you're here with... Uh, in her hands, yes. which we talked a little bit about. Uh, we were chatting before we, we kind of turned the audio on here, but I was so moved by this film. First of all, the access that you got in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. the access mm-hmm. that you got to your subjects' lives on all sides was, was incredible. So in her hands, it's about the youngest female mayor in yes. Afghanistan. Let's just think about that sentence right now. Exactly. That's right. huge. You follow her and her family, and then you follow her bodyguard and her driver, and then we go into the Taliban, and you follow the Taliban. And as a news junkie, it was the first time that I kind of saw all sides of what was happening in that kind of 20 months before mm-hmm. everyone pulled out. So my question, you have this new company, Hidden Light Productions. How did you get involved in this film? Well, it's a real labor of love, this film, because um, I think we both felt a real um desire to tell stories that were hidden. That's why the production company Hidden Light is actually named that, because it's about stories that you might not otherwise know, but if we shine a light, more people will. And that we think should be known. Exactly. And so when this uh, became uh, known to us, uh, we really thought that's a story everybody should see. And we started the filming before the fall of the government and the take over again by the Taliban. So this is two years in Zarifa's life and what it meant to be a young woman being given the responsibility of a mayor of her small town. The Taliban are also interviewed in it, which I think will be surprising to a lot of people because as we're following Zarifa, the Taliban tried to kill her. And Mm -hmm. uh, not a spoiler to tell you that... uh, They weren't successful with her, but someone very close to her, they did assassinate. So this story is a story of courage and determination and resilience and, yes, gutsiness. But it's also a window onto Afghanistan before and during and even after 
the return of the Taliban that I think uh, is going to really open a lot of eyes. Mm-hmm. And you asked how the project came yeah. came to us and how we became so um, privileged to be able to to work on it. We found the project through our friends at Propagate, who had worked on my mom's uh, documentary series, um, named after her, Hillary, appropriately. <laughs> and you know, they knew that we were looking for stories, especially women's stories, to help kind of better shine a light, to give more of a platform, to help amplify women's voices. And so they you know, brought this to Hidden Light, and we're so incredibly thankful. And also, you know, sometimes... You know, serendipity is your friend. Marcel, one of the two directors, had previously worked with Siobhan, our terrific head of Unscripted. And so she was so excited to have the opportunity that they might be able to work together. And we were, you know, in awe. And I think initially weren't quite believing of what they were already doing. It felt really improbable to us. I mean, it had been a very long time since a woman had been able to film in this way in Afghanistan. Um, it seemed every time that we heard they were talking to the Taliban, this deep <gasps> breath of, are, are you safe? Are you okay? What can we do to support you? And it just became such an incredible journey and one that, of course, was fraught with such tremendous risk and yet such deep abiding purpose from, from the directors, you know, from Propagate, from the Hidden Light teams. And I think we're just so honored to be even a small part of sharing Zarifa's story, and as my mom said, what it illuminates about um, the last period of time in Afghanistan over the last few years. Yeah, what's incredible about Zarifa, she is a not fictional. And if this was a movie, if this was a fictional movie, she would be your heroine. She would be, you, you know, have these like kind of unrealistic attributes right, for what she's doing. And when you realize that you're kind of, what I love about the doc is it is a documentary, but it does almost feel like a narrative feature. Thank and you. the way it's set up, Thank I felt almost so like I was watching a feature film. Yeah. And what and a she's star. she's a real human being. What, I mean, what a star. Was, was complicated. Yes. And also evolves. I think so mm-hmm. often, mm-hmm. you know, we expect iconic characters, whether you know, in fiction or in real life, and certainly you know, Zariva is an iconic character, so deeply so in her own right, to be static mm-hmm. or to always behave the same way, even when circumstances are wildly different mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a tribute to the directors that they capture the complexity of, of her life as as her, as her life and the circumstances around her life changed. And those decisions and the driver. Oh, my God, the driver slash oh. bodyguard. Oh. And his own backstory oh. about, so. you know, his families and the Taliban. It was really, really so well done in showing the conflict that each of these, I want to say, characters, yes. each of these real people had. And also the Taliban having that side of understanding where they came from. I kind of saw a little bit of that for the first time. But how did Tamana and Marcel get that access? It was just sheer determination. I mean, they wanted to start filming, and Marcel started first and then was joined later, Uh, but they were brilliant in winning the trust of everybody involved, including the Taliban. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the Taliban to let uh, Marcel and others come in and interview them uh, was so astonishing to us when we first saw early footage. But he is an experienced filmmaker and has, you know, 
produced, uh, you know, award-winning uh, films that really require the level of access uh, that we see in uh, this film, In Her Hands. So I, I think it was, I give all credit to them. I give them credit. Now, Zarifa opened doors, but she also opened up herself. I mean, she had to agree, which, again, was so unlike the culture that she was part of, uh, that she would, you know, let people see her without her head covered. She would let people, you know, into her home. She would be very honest in talking about the conflicts that she would have with her family uh, because of the risks she was taking. So they they were able to uh, create a bond uh, with everybody they talked to. Well, and and Zarifa's family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were talking you know, earlier about about her driver and about the various members of the Taliban. I think also, though, it's really important to acknowledge um, how brave her family was, you know, her sisters, her mother, to, to be part of this journey of, mm-hmm. of filming, of being part of kind of telling and, and showing and sharing Zarifa's story kind of through their relationships with her. And, you know, I think as I understand it from Marcel's perspective, who had worked in Afghanistan before, even though he had worked in Afghanistan before, this even for him was a kind of new level of kind of depth of ability and and then responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we continue to say, these are real people with real lives and real stories that deserve kind of the dignity and the respect in, in the telling and the showing and the sharing of their lives. And I... I, again, similar to my mom, give all credit mm-hmm. um, to to the directors um, for for doing that. It's going to premiere today at the Toronto Film Festival, which is great. And the yeah. question I have is, why did this take so long? Okay, I know you formed the company during COVID. <laughs> I imagine I I was looking. I was like, oh, 2020. Yeah. Hmm. Bet you they were like, huh? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Hidden light? Is that is that a good name? Is, should we do it? So some people were learning new languages or yeah. maybe like 18 versions of banana bread. I was trying to keep my children alive and healthy and start a production company. and start a production company. And what's great is you guys are doing all kinds of things: unscripted, scripted docs, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. So. Right. Why? What, what was it? <laughs> what made you decide to do it and do it together? I, I think two different um, thoughts probably converged. I mean, one is after we wrote the book of Gutsy Women, which came out in uh, the fall of 2019, we were, I think, surprised that a lot of people reached out and said, could we option it, make a series, make a, you know, some kind of a, a film out of it? And we had a great conversation with Sam Branson, who had a small... Mm. Uh, production company in the UK. And we really connected with him. And and he was the first person who said, well, let's do this together. Uh, Because obviously this means a lot to you, these stories about women past and present. And that just struck a chord. But the other part of it is Chelsea and I have been talking about uh, women who inspire and motivate us ever since she was a little girl. That's what led to the book. And then when we decided we would go ahead and do something with the, uh, the material that really opened the door. So we formed the production company in 2020 in the midst of COVID. And as Chelsea said, I had had a very good experience when Propagate uh, worked with Hulu on the documentary about me and we stayed in touch. And then we told them, we're gonna start a production company. If you've got anything that you think would be interesting, let us know. 
everything just kind of happened uh, in the midst of being in, you know, our homes, not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and it was so exciting. And we are so thrilled that Netflix has um, really seen the merit of this story and wants it to get out to the global audience. What's the dynamic here? Do you guys talk on the phone all the time? Do you text? Like, how's the working <laughs> all, all relationship? Of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Uh, though, since you asked about texting, it still just gives me great joy that for, for probably the first decade of my mother having a cell phone, <laughs> she used to sign off her texts like techno mom. <laughs> and... I mean, I, I knew it was for my mom. Like, I see your number <laughs> on my screen. Like, I, I know it's you. And, like, we're now, like, a year, two years, four years, eight years, a decade into you having a device. I also have a device. We communicate through those devices. Like, you don't need to call yourself techno mom anymore. Um, and so I am uh, very grateful that uh, we just have even more now to talk about and to work on together and, and to learn together through. I think we both have learned so much and continue to learn so much kind of through working with the fantastic team at, at Hidden Light with Sam and Johnny and Siobhan and everyone else who's part of the Hidden Light effort now with our friends at Propagate, mm -hmm. with the amazing team at Netflix. You know, we we know a lot about a lot. We, until we started this endeavor, knew nothing about <laughs> making a documentary yeah. or yeah. Um, we went with Gutsy, a docuseries. So we are so thankful to have so many people who have real kind of shared values and purpose and also a lot of patience as yes. we ask questions that they're like, oh God. Yeah, really? we are what such novices. So, what's something that surprised you about this experience with Tamana and Marcel? Well, some of it was the technical stuff. Like we would see things and we would think like, oh, that looks a little bit strange. And, and then we would hear back, well, it hasn't been color corrected. And we're like, I'm sorry, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so things like that were yeah. really... Things where you're like, ha, 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 they knew nothing. Because we did. We did not know anything. And we've learned so much. And it has been such a deeply collaborative and we hope productive um, experience for everyone. Because we do think you know, this story in particular in her hands is so important. And so important not only for women, but also for men um, mm -hmm. to... Mm -hmm to listen to, to hear, to learn from, and then to think about, like, what is our collective responsibility mm -hmm. to one another? Yeah, you know, awesome. one of the highlights of our experience, I have to tell you, it's just a small thing, but it gave me chills, is when um, Netflix sent us the art for mm -hmm. the poster and the advertising. I mean, I am not artistic at all, and I, it captured the feeling so profoundly. So it's moments well, like that. They did ask us, they're like, do you have any thoughts? And we said, no, like, we, <laughs> neither of us are particularly visually artistic and we don't want to in any way not give merit to all that this is. And then when we got the art, as my mom was saying, not only were we so like, you know, gasping, um, we also, I think, felt a little subtly, or at least only to each other, like, see, this is why we didn't suggest anything, because <laughs> yeah. our brains don't work this way. Yeah. It works yeah. in another way. Do you remember the first kind of experience you had, either with film or a television series or doc, where you recognized film was more than entertainment? Oh, my gosh. So many. So Anything many. Anything come to mind? Well, I remember the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater um, with my grandmother and my younger brother. So I was maybe six and he was three. And it was a uh, reissuing of Wizard of Oz. Mm. I thought it was miraculous. I had never, I mean, we had a little black and white TV, 
uh, at that time, which I had no idea how that worked. I really did think there were little people in there. Mm -hmm. And going to a theater and just being overwhelmed. And so both on, to me it was, yes, it was entertainment, but it was so much more than entertainment. It was such a, a spark of imagination and a great story and, and so many instances you know, over so many years now uh, where I've felt that. And we listened to lots of, um, of audiobooks when I was a kid and a lot of radio, and we also always had movie nights. Um, we did the watch documentaries even from when I was a little girl, and I um, love nature, have always loved nature. I've always had a particular love for elephants, though animals broadly. And, and I remember, you know, I was a little kid in Little Rock, Arkansas, and to see kind of the various documentaries from National Geographic or others that made me feel like I was a part of a place that I thought I would probably never be lucky enough to visit made me feel not only kind of educated and entertained, but connected in a really mm -hmm. profound way. And so while I am so thankful for all of the kind of audible storytelling I heard as a child, you know, nonfiction and fiction alike, I do think I've long felt this deep resonance with an appreciation for visual storytelling because of how much it meant to me as a little kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, it would, would be hair. I never got over it. I saw hair in a, in a theater. Oh, my gosh. And the music, I was like, the music. But it, it was the first time I saw the Vietnam War. And I remember going home and asking my dad about the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And the way that was, but I had no concept at the time. It was like, oh, they're dance Central Park, and the thing, but it so burned in my brain. About it's so funny you say. I, mean, exactly. I stood in line to get a standing ticket to go see Hair when it was on Broadway a long wow. time ago wow. with a friend of mine, and we got in like halfway through the first act and stood in the back and watched it. And I never seen anything like that before. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> feeling. Okay, so in your previous day job, mm -hmm. of which you've had a lot, and specifically as Secretary of State, you were all over the world. Mm -hmm. And Chelsea, your proximity to that is so unique. What else is out there that you that inspires you yeah. that, that's going to be next on your list? That's a great question. I mean, you know, we did finish um, our series, Gutsy, uh, for Apple TV+, and we could have had a hundred episodes because the number of women who came to our attention, not just in the United States, but around the world, really inspired us. And now we are looking at a variety of stories um, that are both scripted and unscripted, um, both real life and uh, you know fictional. And I think part of what we want to do is tell stories that other people might not have told or would have overlooked. And we want it to be as global as possible because especially with this incredible film in her hands, it's really a story for everybody. Because you mentioned I was Secretary of State. I spent a lot of time going to places where women were denied the right to vote, the right to drive, the right to work. Um, and we thought for that brief moment in Afghanistan, We'd gotten beyond that, and now it's all reverted. And there is a pushback against women's rights and opportunities going on globally. So I think 
in addition to just telling a great, good story, I think we feel a special uh, obligation to tell those stories when they involve women. Mm-hmm. And including here in the United States, where I would argue that um, now to be a woman in America is to be political because our bodies have been politicized. And we have politicians thinking that they actually should be able to make choices that I think a woman should be able to make for herself. And so I think, too, while we think about what stories we want to help tell, be part of telling globally, we also have an urgent responsibility to think about how can we use the inevitable attention that comes our way and the platforms we have and now the really remarkably kind of talented, creative, amazing teams that we're lucky enough to work with to tell some of the stories here in the United States that might make people uncomfortable, but I think that discomfort is really important if it can help then compel people to action to do more to help actually protect human rights, women's lives, trans lives, everyone in our country. It's remarkable how, you know, I think if, if, if my mother were alive and she passed away a long time ago, that her daughter and grandchildren would have less rights than she had. It's, exactly. It's just shocking to me. And I was like, how are we doing out there as women in general? It is incredible. I feel like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward. And you're right, Chelsea, when you say we don't, I, we don't have a choice not to be political anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't have a choice. And that's not partisan politics. That's no. raising your voice, standing up, speaking out recognizing that as challenging as it might be for the three of us, it's even harder for women who don't have the financial or other resources to be able to make the decisions that uh, they choose. So, yeah, we are we are focused on storytelling, something that we've always done in a different context, but now have this opportunity to, you know, bring it to a much broader audience. Well, that's the beauty of Netflix. It is. And, and I think that there is also um, a fight over, over the stories that we want to tell, you know, not only ourselves, but also our children, right? It is deeply troubling to me that we have, you know, state and local boards of education trying to take away, like, the diary of Anne Frank <laughs> or anything written by Maya Angelou. Or, you know, there was a, a moment a couple of years ago where there was an effort to remove my mother from you know, history books in, in Texas, like school. Me and Helen curriculum. Keller. Yeah, my mom and Helen <laughs> Keller. You're a hot button in yeah. Texas. Yeah. We apparently were for a period of time. Yeah. <laughs> Helen Keller was one of the founders of the ACLU. So regardless of what you may think about my mother and Helen Keller, like they both have had a pretty important impact on the United States of America. Even if you think it's been a bad impact, it's still one that you should understand and study and then form your own opinion on. So we are living in a moment of such contested storytelling, um, that we do think it is particularly important to center women, listen to women, empower women to tell our own stories in as many places as possible. And it's why we are so thankful that this story in particular is with Netflix. Mm-hmm. Seen by the world. Seen yes, by the world. It is the Netflix effect. It will be seen by the world and it will be discovered immediately and then later and then rediscovered. I mean, that's because I always say like every night it's a premiere for someone on Netflix. hundred yes. percent right. You. you know, yes. so that is what I love about it. And I've had a lot of fun. Okay. So now every season I have a question that okay. I ask all my guests. So, 
before in the middle of COVID when I was doing the podcast out of my closet, <laughs> it was fear, right? I felt like that was pretty... Uh, I'm scared to hang yourself yeah. <laughs> So that was that. And then when we all kind of got out of COVID, I was like, all right, what, what's our relationship with ambition these days? How do we feel about things? We've all had time to reevaluate and... and um, also, you know, everyone was in, in, in a different position and had a different um, idea about their own ambition. And now, as Timothy Chalamet, that lovely actor, said not too long ago, it's really just hard to be human these days, oh, no yes. matter where you are, that was right? so touching when he said right? that, I thought. Just, right? It's really yeah. hard, right? Yeah. So yeah. that got me thinking. So what are our small wins? What mm. are the small wins that we are grateful for? So I will start with either whoever wants to go first. I got my six-year-old to eat peas last night. <laughs> so, is that what you mean? I really we ate six carrots and three peas. It's normally he just wants to eat lettuce, which is great. I'm very thankful that he loves lettuce, but I really felt like yes, lettuce. That's amazing. I, know. I can't. Well, I that, can't that's only relatively dinner. recently. No, 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 no. He's let's give him credit. He's long eaten lettuce. That is not. He has always loved like the tiniest piece. No, of no. That's you're not. That's not accurate. Gotta, I mean, no. All right, speak up for his lettuce Thank eating you. habits. He's always been a good lettuce eater. <laughs> he just thought he was, I don't know, like a dinosaur or something for a while. And now we hopefully are broadening his palate I to other it. vegetables. My teenagers to eat lettuce if it's on a hamburger. So I yeah. think you're yes. already ahead. <laughs> Loaded up. <laughs> yes. Um, and you have three children, I right? do have three. So let's, I'll try to, think. so that's a win for one. We ate some vegetables last night um, that we had to be prompted and prodded, but not bribed. I was also very proud of that. That also felt like a win. I didn't have to bribe with like ice cream to get the peas and carrots eaten. Um, I would say that for uh, my daughter to help her continue to feel brave in finding herself. And since we're talking about storytelling, she's been working on this story for um, weeks and she contributes to it every few days. And it's this wonderful long story about a museum curator who continues to find these objects and then they like whisk her off into these magical wondrous lands and she really deserves the credit for that but I think it's a small one that I just could continue to help her find her self-confidence um, and for my three-year-old like we're finally potty training yay <laughs> That's huge. So those are my small wins, yes. but they feel pretty big. Yeah. It's like <laughs> bravery, vegetables, and potty training. That's a good hat trick. Right? Oh, it's, it's, it's. I don't have anything that um, yeah. exciting. Um, I think small wins uh, for me um, is, you know, the chance that I still have to learn new things and be involved with new people and discover more about myself and others, uh, which I love. I mean, I, it really keeps me going, keeps me motivated. Uh, another small win is uh, uh, after a very um, you know, chaotic uh, COVID period, you know, finding the energy to kind of clean stuff out and organize, that's a small win. Cleaning out a drawer, cleaning out a closet. I mean, I can live off of that for yeah. days. Yeah. <laughs> I organized our cereal boxes the other day. That also felt really cathartic. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, all right. One last question. As a mom, we're all, uh, we're, we're all lucky enough to be moms. What is your favorite thing about working with your daughter? I mean, just yeah. what is it? It, it's both how um, smart she is in helping to think through 
what we do and how we do it, and also how game she is uh, to do things that, um, you know, for our Gutsy series, we did a lot that was outside our comfort zone, but I think it's fair to say she did more because there were, there were moments when they said, hey, we, we want to rappel down a waterfall. I'd say, you know, Chelsea would be really good at that. <laughs> she was not only really good, but very uh, game about it. <laughs> did that surprise you or did you kind of know that? No, I knew that about her ever since she was a little girl. Um, but it, we were both outside our comfort zone. So, you know, with the camera going, I mean, it's one thing to be game and try something and, and keep working at it when it's hard for you, whether it's doing cartwheels or ballet or whatever it might be with nobody watching. But, you know, with the cameras going, that makes it a little tougher. I think, though, for me as a mom, then it's been really wonderful to say to my children, like, look, grandma and mom are trying new things, right? including this production company or you working on, you know, in her hands that, you know, I am continuing to try new things in the hopes that they then feel like, oh, well, if my grandma and my mom are trying new things, then I can definitely try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, to, and to be vulnerable with my own kids about how, like, I don't really know if this is going to work. I hope it's going to work out. You know, I'm doing all my homework. I'm really prepared. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and it still might not work out. But we're trying new things and we're trying to do it with, you know, an open heart and a kind of committed self and all in kind of feet first. And I just have to hope that that also will hopefully help my kids you know, continue to be brave and continue to take the risks that they will be attracted to to lead their best lives. And the greatest thing about whenever I've interviewed families that work together, whether it be sibling or or mother, daughter, husband, however it goes, what's very interesting to me is that arguments come up or point of views are different regardless, but no matter what, you're always going to be together. So you have to solve it. Exactly There's no walking right. away, right? There's no, even if you have one point of view or another, yeah. Yeah. it's like a, kind of an amazing thing. I think there's a lot of power in in um, in those family relationships. And certainly in Hollywood, you know, we see it a lot in our industry. And yeah. I, I do think it's there's a super, super power in it. I agree with that completely. And, you know, for me, it's like a dream come true to be able to, you know, do this work uh, with her and... Uh, feel like it's kind of the circle comes all the way around because we had so much uh, discovery together when she was young and and then off we went pursuing all of our various interests and now we're kind of back together so it's very special oh it's fantastic well it's been great to so great talking to you so much for having us so awesome congratulations on the movie i hope we get a lot more with you so we do too because we've got some good ideas (laughs) stay tuned all right well thank you so much thank you very much thank you in her hands is streaming on netflix november 16th thanks so much for joining me i'm krista smith your host and creator of the show Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 